Welcome back to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. In this program, we go to bat for bats. These fascinating creatures are widely reviled, yet they perform several valuable functions. They eat insect pests, pollinate plants, and reseed ravaged rainforests. Bats provide major assistance to farmers by eating pests that attack crops, thereby saving American farmers billions of dollars in reduced crop damage and pesticide use. To find out more about bats, I met up with Malia Bayliss, who is Senior Director of Networks and Partnerships at Bat Conservation International, or BCI, in Austin, Texas. First, I'd like to welcome you to Mothering Earth. Thank you. We're here to talk about a really interesting mammal, namely bats, and perhaps fittingly, we're in Austin, Texas, which is home to uh, one of the mega populations of bats, Mexican freetail bats that live under the uh, Congress Avenue Bridge. Um, and then the organization that you work with, the Bat Conservation International, has a very specific mission in relation to bats. So can you talk about what that mission is and how you got involved in the organization? Bat Conservation International, BCI for short, works around the world to conserve uh, bats and their ecosystems to ensure a healthy planet. And what this means in practice is that we have an amazing team of people literally working night, time, and day um, to work for the enduring protection of the world's 1,300-some species of bats um, globally. So we have a global mission, and we really believe in finding solutions that work for both bats and people to successfully coexist, uh, even at a local level here, uh, like at the Congress Avenue Bridge, where hundreds and hundreds of people join the bats every night during the summer um, for the bats to fly out and eat insects in the agricultural communities around Austin, and we share that space and we share it well. And then how did you get involved Oh yeah, in Bat Conservation International? So I first learned about BCI when I was a young professional in the 90s working on my career in wildlife biology. Um, and I had watched BCI develop this interesting niche market for conserving a group of animals that nobody was really talking about at that time. And I've been... Um, lucky to be working with BCI for about 12 years. And in that time, I've been part of BCI's efforts uh, to develop protections around rare species and understand and address wino syndrome and develop solutions to back collisions with wind turbines um, and build a conservation ethic in communities like this all over the world. And I'm really proud to be part of an organization that does those things that I believe in. I wanted to talk about the different uh, threats to bats, mm -hmm. of which there are several. Uh, but can we start by talking about why bats are important to our world, to our environment? What do they do that's valuable for us? Bats are incredibly important. They play a critical role in our natural world. Some of the most important roles they play involve eating insects and pollinating plants and dispersing seeds. A lot of people don't know that, but we'll mm -hmm. talk about that. Approximately 70% of all bat species are insectivorous, which means they eat entirely insects. And they eat large numbers of insects like moths and crickets and mosquitoes and other flying insects. Um, for example, the Mexican free-tailed bats that live here under the bridge in Austin, Texas. Um, they uh, can eat about 70% of their body weight every night. 
And this is important for our local economy because one of their favorite prey is the corn earworm moth, sometimes called the cotton bollworm moth. And that's a very costly agricultural pest. Right. So one bat can easily eat about 20 female corn earworm moths in a night, and then each of those moths would have laid about 500 eggs, um, potentially producing like 10,000 crop-damaging caterpillars. So um, those economics, once you add them all up, become quite significant. In fact, there's an economic study that um, estimates that bats save farmers billions of dollars annually um, in the U.S. by reduced crop losses and right. also reduced uh, pesticide use because they don't have to use those pesticides on their crops right. to produce the yields they need. Right. And then uh, what about uh, bats as pollinators? I think a lot of people also don't understand that that is one of the services they provide. Oh, yeah. Pollination and seed dispersal are mm-hmm. also critically important um, functions that bats play in the world. There are only about three pollinating bats Mm -hmm. in the U.S., um, and we don't have any frugivorous or fruit-eating bats in the U.S., but around the world, pollination and seed dispersal are a really critical um, ecological function that they play. And the nectar-eating bats are really cool. They have these adapted snouts and tongues to be able to reach deep inside the tubular-shaped flowers to Mm -hmm. reach the nectar, kind of like a hummingbird tongue, right? Right. And in the U.S., our nectar-feeding bats rely on the nectar and pollen of agave plants, as well as saguaro, cardone, and other columnar cacti. And certain plants, like agave, in the American Southwest um, have co-evolved with our local bat species. So if bat populations in those areas decrease, the same can happen to the plants that are dependent on those nighttime pollinators like bats. And fruit-eating bats are really one of the main contributors to forest regeneration in many parts of the world. So the fruit bats can eat these pulpy or fleshy fruits that are available in the neotropics and the tropics, and then they defecate the seeds as they fly across open areas, um, and those seeds helped help maintain regeneration and a healthy forest ecosystem because they fly in areas where the birds won't across these big open fields, like perhaps where um, the forest has been removed or something like that. So they play a really critical role in other parts of the world for forest regeneration. Right. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here today with Malia Bayliss, who is Senior Director of Networks and Partnerships at Bat Conservation International. Um, And we were just talking about what bats do for humans, for the environment, and for our world. Um, But now, um, not all the bats in the world, I'm not sure about whether they're in the U.S. or not, uh, but not all of them eat only insects. Some of them eat fish and frogs, I understand. What else? Yeah, we've talked about insectivorous bats and bats that pollinate plants and bats that disperse seeds by eating the fruit and leaving those seeds in the forest to regenerate as they fly across. But a lot of people don't know that bats eat all kinds of other things um, in smaller amounts, right? So they eat frogs, they'll eat fish. Um, There are three species of bats that actually do um, eat blood, the vampire bats. And there are even bats that are carnivorous, so they'll eat birds and lizards and other small small animals, Yeah, primarily in the tropics. So they're a really highly diverse and specialized group of animals 
um, that perform all kinds of functions in the ecosystem and do all kinds of really interesting things. So I, I also read that there's some that eat um, scorpions and other stinging type insects. Now, how do they avoid the poison from those? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. pallid bats, which live in the American Southwest, um, are known to prey on centipedes and scorpions. And they, they do this really cool thing. Instead of catching those insects while they fly, they sort of wait and pounce on the insects as they crawl across the floor of the desert or the ground of the desert. Um, and they have uh, unique adaptations. They appear to be immune to the stings and the poisons in mm -hmm. scorpions and centipedes. And they also have this really cool ability to um, heal more quickly. So their wing membranes, which often get poked and torn as they climb around on the desert floor catching these insects, um, can, can regenerate and heal quite rapidly. And so there are particularly interesting species that are being looked at by our medical community for some of those properties. Yeah, I was just thinking that might mm -hmm. be something to research. One other thing I'll mention about that is that um, as we learn more about our natural environment and bats in particular, we're learning about all kinds of adaptations they have that can benefit us as people. For example, in vampire bat saliva, there's an anticoagulant that they use to keep the wound open so they can continue to feed on birds and mammals. Um, but it also serves um, as a medication that they're exploring for stroke victims. Wow. So like everything out there, the more we learn, the more value we see, and the more we realize that we're so interconnected that we benefit from bats um, far more probably than they benefit from us. Right. Despite all this, despite the fact that there are all these valuable services that bats do provide us, they generally have really bad press. They're, you know, people think of them as scary and they're afraid of them and, you know, they just don't, they don't come across well, I guess. Um, so that I, I know that uh, when I was looking through your website, you've described bats as misunderstood. Um, so can we talk about some of the things that we don't seem to understand about bats? Um, starting maybe with the idea that, uh, or, or the phrase, blind as a bat? So I like to think of bats as being emerging stars, right? They're kind of the underdog, but I think that's what makes them amazing. Um, people say blind as a bat, um, or the bats are going to get in your hair, or all those things that we hear from our grandmothers or get lost, or they, they just emerge out of our pop culture. And so many of those things, I think, are just driven by not understanding our natural world. Um, bats are mammals. Like other mammals, they have hair, they give life birth, the mothers nurse their young. Um, and bats as a group make up about 25% of all the mammal species on the planet. So they're incredibly diverse, well over 1,300 species and counting. So they belong to the mammalian order Chiroptera, which literally in Greek means hand wing. And so I know we're on radio, but if you hold out your hand with your <laughs> fingers spread and you look at your finger bones, they're basically equivalent to the bones in the bat's outstretched wing, our thumb being equivalent to their first digit. And so that word chiroptera is really interesting. And you can maybe mm -hmm. identify a little more with bats thinking about that. Um, common ancestries. There are three species of bats that are vampire bats, and they do eat blood. 
they're all uh, restricted in range. They live only in Mexico and Central America, and they feed primarily on birds and domesticated um, animals like pigs and mm. cows. Um, but they do get a really, they are really feared in those parts of the world. And one of the threats to bats um, in those areas is that most communities, most people don't know how to tell the difference between vampire bats, which are a very small portion of mm -hmm. all the bats out there, and the rest of the bats that are really beneficial. They're helping to pollinate plants. They're dispersing seeds. They're, they're helping the local community and the agriculture, but people can't tell them apart. So what winds up happening is that bats in those parts of the world are sometimes um, harassed and disturbed and killed. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here with Malia Bayliss, who is Senior Director of Networks and Partnerships at Bat Conservation International. But right now, it's time for a break. We're back now. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm here today with Malia Bayliss, who is Senior Director of Networks and Partnerships at Bat Conservation International. Um, we were talking a little earlier about uh, the different ways in which bats are misunderstood. Um, one of them that you mentioned is that bats will get tangled in your hair. Talk about that. They won't. It's that easy. <laughs> um, bats are incredibly adept at navigating their environment. They have highly flexible wings. They've got really um, complicated and... Um, acrobatic flight capabilities. And even in the dark, the bats that operate in the dark can see extremely well in the dark using echolocation. So most bats uh, see really well. In fact, a lot of species of bats um, around the world use their eyesight primarily for navigation. But our insectivorous bats and the bats that are really nighttime specialists um, have the added uh, advantage of echolocation, which is this unique feature that bats have where they can emit a sound and then the sound bounces off an object and it comes back to them and they pick it up through their ears and some of their unique facial features that help funnel the sound mm -hmm. and they can see a very clear picture of what um, what's in front of them. And it's particularly useful for bats that eat insects because they can see, essentially through echolocation, the insects in the air. And as they increase their speed and they come closer to that insect, they adjust their echolocation calls to produce um, calls closer together and at a higher frequency to give them a more precise picture of the insect that they're going after. And the sound of the echolocation call actually changes depending on what they're doing. So when they're flying around, just searching for an insect, just flying around, their echolocation call will sound like click, 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 click. They're just looking around. And then when they see something they like, they'll start increasing the frequency and the pitch, click, 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 uh -huh. click. And then as they zoom in to catch the insect, it increases in pitch and frequency even more, and it goes click, 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 click. <laughs> and it makes this little buzz at the end. And you can tell by listening to the bats that they're feeding um, because of this pattern in their calls. And you can buy um, bat detectors. They're called bat detectors that pick up the ultrasonic 
high frequency calls of bats. Mm. Most of those calls are outside the range of human hearing. So you need a piece of equipment to convert those calls down into a sound that you can hear. And many of these bat detectors will give you um, a converted sound so you can listen to bats, but it'll also convert that sound into a visual image on the screen so that you can see the call. And it makes bats more accessible. Like you can go bat watching, just like maybe you would go bird watching. So you can walk around at night and listen to the calls and see them and identify bats. And it's um, super fun. And the technology has finally started to catch up so that this is accessible um, to everyday people and not just scientists. Now, another concern that people mm-hmm. have with bats is that uh, is the idea that they're all uh, rabid. Bats, like all mammals, can get rabies, but it's a very, very small percentage. So that's absolutely not true. Um, all bats are not rabid. A very small percentage of them can be, just like right. all mammals. And rabies is a really serious disease. So um, I think one thing for your listeners to know is that because it's such a serious disease, it's very important to talk to your physician if you ever do come on into contact with a bat. And it's very important to um, never handle a bat. So bats, like other wild animals, really shouldn't be handled or picked up or messed with. Right. And I think as long as people and bats can sort of leave each other alone in their relative spaces, really shouldn't be a problem. But but I do, I do think that... Um, but, but rabies is a serious thing, and people should take it seriously. Right. It's right. just very uncommon, um, right. much less common than people imagine. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm here today with Malia Bayliss, who is Senior Director of Networks and Partnerships at Bat Conservation International. We were just talking about some of the myths about bats, uh, but one of the serious problems is that a lot of bats are threatened with extinction, um, what's what's going on there in that in that area? Um, so around the world, uh, currently there are over seventy seven. I think the last time I looked, bats that were um, endangered or critically endangered, um, which means that they're uh, in imminent risk of extinction, and so many more are vulnerable or um, in jeopardy around the world. And and really, I think the, the one of the bigger problems is that we just don't know so many things right. about so many bats. And so um, one of our highest priorities is learning about some of those um, critically endangered bats that only live in one part of the world or in a very narrow geographic region so that we can do our best to make sure those populations continue to survive into the future. Right. Another thing I've, I've heard about is a disease called white nose. Um, Talk about that. What is that, and how does it affect bats? White nose syndrome is this crazy disease that is pretty new. It emerged in the U.S. around 2007, and it's an introduced species of fungus, probably from Europe or Asia, where it occurs more commonly but doesn't kill bats. Um, and in the U.S., where it's been introduced, it's a non-native species, Um, it impacts the bats when they're hibernating. So it's a cold-loving fungus that lives and invades the skin tissues of hibernating bats, and it can only manifest itself into disease when the bats 
go into hibernation and they drop their metabolic rate and they suppress their immune system and they do all of these really interesting um, things to save energy and survive the winter without eating, but it also makes them incredibly susceptible to this fungus which disrupts their skin, it um, creates lesions. Uh, many people think that it um, alters their ability to transfer gas and maybe it dehydrates them, but we do know that it wakes them up out of hibernation. So it causes the bats to wake up, burn through their fat reserves too quickly, and they essentially starve um, yeah. towards the end of the winter because they can't, they don't have enough left right. to make it through the winter enough energy and fat reserves. And so it's a very serious disease. It started in New York um, and it has spread south and west across the country, um, killing more than 5 million bats. I mean, the bat populations in the Northeast and the upper Midwest have really plummeted for um, all the species of hibernating bats. Some species are surviving better than others, and there's a few species of hibernating bats that appear to coexist with the disease, but or, or coexist with the fungus, but not develop disease. Mm -hmm. So that's promising. But for um, most of our myotis species, it's very devastating. We've lost, you know, between 80 and 90 percent of those bats in the hibernacula where white nose syndrome uh, occurs, and there's several species of bats currently being considered. Um, for endangered species listing because of white nose syndrome. And unfortunately, last um, in the last year or year and a half, um, it the the fungus made a jump from the Midwest uh, to Washington State. So now it occurs in the western upper northwest mm -hmm. of the country, and we expect it'll um, radiate out from there as well. So the prognosis isn't good for the spread of mm -hmm. white nose syndrome, but there are there's a lot of attention on this um, disease, and there are a lot of people working very diligently to um, search for solutions um, to the disease. In fact, the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation recently announced their new funding opportunity um, dedicated solely to um, discovering solutions to white nose syndrome and that's called the bats to the bats for the future fund um, and the first round of research projects being funded through those monies um, are going to be implemented on the ground this winter and so we really hope that'll produce some viable solutions to the disease and um, provide our bats in north america with a little bit of hope right where can people uh, in general go to see bats I mean, I'm sure they're in, I mean, I, at least I hope they're in my garden at night. But, you know, how would I find them or see them? Bats are everywhere. Look yeah. up. <laughs> Get yourself a bat detector. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, they're, yeah. they're, talk about they're everywhere. They, right. You know, bats occur all over the place. Um, they're on every continent except, you know, the coldest parts of the Arctic and the Antarctic and yeah. maybe the hottest parts of the desert. So, um, you can see them flying around at night, but if you want a re really concentrated viewing experience, there are places that offer an opportunity to go and watch bats fly out in mass, these big colonies mm -hmm. that come out every night, and it's really a wildlife spectacle. And the greatest place to do that, I think, is in Central Texas. Central Texas has, um, I don't know, six, seven, eight, or more um really spectacular bat viewing sites um, of Mexican free-tail bats, like right. 
that reside under the Congress Avenue Bridge that live in these caves where you can go watch them come out. And several of those are managed by the State Parks Department. Um, the largest bat colony in the world, um, the bats at Bracken Cave, is managed and operated by Bat Conservation uh, International, my organization, just north of San Antonio. And you, mm-hmm. as a BCI member, you can go and watch the bats emerge from that cave um, during the summer. And there are some others. And it's really spectacular. You can um, sit and wait for the bats to come out of their cave. And the cool thing about it is that everyone's excited. Everybody's waiting. Nobody right. knows what to expect. And then all of a sudden, the bats will come out and they'll start to form, at least at Bracken, this amazing tornado of bats that starts in the sinkhole and it comes out and it rises up and it's like a batnado. It's awesome. (laughs) And then they do this beautiful dance and they form these columns and they fly off into the sunset. And really, it's just one of the it's it's a wonderful nature spectacle that everyone should should try and uh, do once in their lifetime. It should be on your bucket list for sure. That's right. Okay. What if I want to attract bats to my garden because I want them to eat all these bad insects that are flying around? Sure. What do I do? You can attract bats to the area. I mean, it's a little tricky, but um, you can do things like plant uh, native plants. Have a native garden that uh, attracts a diverse insect community, just like you would for birds. You know, bats eat insects too. They're just the nighttime crew. So think about native plants. Um, you can also consider installing a bat house, which is um, kind of like a bird box, but it's for bats. It's made out of, they're usually made out of wood. Mm-hmm. And there are some very specific design and installation instructions on our website at Bat Conservation International. Okay. It's um, batcon.org. There's a lot more to learn about bats, so get over to www.batcon.org. Thanks for listening and see you next time on Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. Music